The Spells Below by Neil Jones Katerina Kraber strolled through the streets of Waldenhof. Early morning sunlight slanted in over the close-crowded rooftops. The air was full of the smell of freshly baked bread. Around her, townsfolk were already going about their business, calling out the occasional greeting to one another. Katerina felt relaxed and happy. She was on her way to her lessons in wizardry. Above her, mounted on a high gable, she saw a gilded weather vane clearly outlined against the blue summer sky. The spells that Anton Freivold and her father before him had taught her came whispering into her mind. A glance up and down the street showed her that no one was looking in her direction. Lifting one slim hand, her brown eyes intent on the weather vane, she began to murmur the words of a spell. Very slowly, the weather vane began to turn, moving counter to the breeze that was stirring the morning air. It completed one full turn and then began to pick up speed, creaking as it did so. A plump merchant stopped directly across the street from Katerina. He looked upwards, frowning, then peered suspiciously at Katerina. Her blue tunic, hose and cap clearly marked her out as an apprentice of the Wizards' Guild. Katerina broke the spell at once and continued on down the street, her easy mood gone replaced now by a sense of unease. Wizardry was legal in Waldenhof, but both Anton and her father had warned her about the need to be circumspect. Ordinary folk feared magic, often with good reason. As she hurried on through the streets, she sensed that the mood of the townsfolk around her had begun to change too. Some of them were exchanging words and glances, as if there was something going on that she was not aware of. She turned the corner into Ostgardstrasse and looked down it to where it opened onto the expanse of Sigmarplatz. She saw the steel helms of soldiers. A feeling of alarm went through her, as sharp and as sudden as a knife blade. She pushed her way through the crowd that was beginning to gather, and found herself behind two burly soldiers. Beyond them, there were hundreds more already in the square. Sunlight glittered off their weapons and armour. The banner of Waldenhof's Graf, Jürgen von Stolzing, fluttered in the breeze. The soldiers were drawn up into an arc that went around three sides of the square and stretched into Zofstrasse on her left and Merzban on her right. The row of elegant four-storey mansions directly opposite her was surrounded, and in the centre of that row, its red lacquered door and shuttered windows gleaming against grey stone, was the residence of Anton Freivald. Anton, Katharina thought, remembering. When her father had died in debt, and there had been no one she could turn to, it had been Anton who had come to offer her his help. Recognising her talent, he had made her his apprentice. And then later, when her respect and gratitude had been joined by other, stronger feelings, 
of attraction, affection. They had become lovers. Now Anton was the one in trouble, and it was her turn to help him. Taking a chance that everyone's attention would be focused on the square, Katerina cast a simple garrulity spell upon the two soldiers immediately in front of her. One promptly leaned towards the other and muttered, Remember, the Graf said to take him alive. There's a reward in it for us if we do. It's secrets thereafter, the second man whispered back. Dark, magic secrets. They want to put him to the question. But it's a waste of time. Everyone knows you can't torture anything out of a dark magician. What's it matter, so long as we get paid? The squat bulk of a siege engine came into view, rumbling slowly forwards across the cobbles. Following behind it were people that she recognised, all members of the Wizards' Guild. With alarm, she saw that there were dozens of them, wizards of every level from all of the various colleges. Hastily, Katerina allowed her spell to fade, hoping it had not been detected. As the wizards gathered together in the square immediately in front of her, a brazier was set up beside the siege engine. Strange odours began to rise from it, spicing the morning air. The house seemed a hundred miles away, but she knew she had to get across Sigma Platz to it and quickly. Her only chance was to slip past the soldiers and then make a run for it. The thought of it terrified her. But there was no alternative. Not if she was going to help Anton. And she would have to do it now, before the Graf began his assault. She took a slow, deep breath. Then another, searching for calm. She took a step forward, and a hand closed on her arm. Now, a cold voice said, What sort of wizardling have we here? Held by an iron-hard grip, she looked up into a dark-bearded face she recognised. Gerhard Lerner, Magister of the Wizards Guild, and Anton Freivald's bitterest rival. Two soldiers moved in to take hold of her arms. They marched her forward, and a moment later she was standing before a tall, richly dressed figure. Graf Jürgen von Stolzing himself. What's going on? he demanded, his gaze moving from Lerner to Katerina. A little surreptitious spell-casting, my lord Graf, replied Lerner. He raised his hand in a deprecatory gesture. Fortunately, very little indeed. The Graf stared at Katerina, suspicion gleaming in his pale blue eyes. Who are you? Allow me to introduce you, said Lerner. He reached out to knock Katerina's blue apprentice's cap to the ground. Her hair shook free. This is Fraulein Katerina Kreber, apprentice. He lingered faintly over the word to Anton Freivald. The Graf inspected her coldly, took in the brown hair cut neatly at the jawline, the high cheekboned face, the green eyes. So, he said, another acolyte of chaos. Quite likely, Graf, 
replied Lerner. Chaos. The full extent of the charges against Anton came home to her. No wonder they had come for him with such overwhelming force. Then her name finally registered with the graph. Kreber. Yes, my lord. Her late father was Joachim Kreber, of my own guild. Her grandfather... Yes, yes, said the graph. I remember the family. They gave you loyal service, my lord, said Katerina, seizing her chance to speak, as I... What were you trying to do? demanded the graph, his thin face drawn into tight lines. Tell me, or you'll be made to. Katerina's eyes went to the mansion, impossibly distant across the square. My duty. Only that. Your duty? As a citizen of Waldenhof? Or as a servant of the dark magician Anton Freivald? My lord, protested Katerina, don't believe Magister Lerner. He's jealous of Anton's talents, his spells, his... Spells, said the Graf sharply. What do you know of them? Immediately Katerina became guarded. Anton had warned her to say nothing of his research. Only the ones he has taught me she answered after a moment. Those proper to an apprentice. I think she knows much more than she's telling us, my lord, put in Lerner. Best she's put to the question. Yes, agreed the Graf, alongside her master. He swung around to face the house. It's time we flushed that chaos devil out, he gestured to Lerner. Begin. Lerner stepped confidently forward until he was standing before the brazier. He lifted both arms into the air. His lips began to move, and then a voice was booming out over the cobbled expanse of the square. A human voice. The voice of Gerhard Lerner, but magically amplified. It echoed across the tiled roofs around them, out across the whole city of Waldenhof. Anton Freivald, you are charged with practising dark magic. Surrender, in the name of Jürgen von Stolzing, Graf of Waldenhof. An expectant hush fell over the crowd. Moments passed. There was no response from the house. The Graf looked towards the siege engine and brought his hand down in a decisive gesture. The command to fire rang out across the square. Wood and leather creaked, and then a massive stone was whistling through the air. The stone arced across the square towards the house. Abruptly, there was a sound like water being poured onto white-hot coals, and a rainbow light exploded around it. A massed gasp of astonishment went up from everyone in the square, Hands were raised against the glare. The light began to dim, and the stone became visible once again. It was absolutely still, hanging suspended in mid-air. For a few seconds longer it remained there. Then it dropped to the ground and shattered against the cobbles. The shield, Katerina thought with sudden hope, the shield of spell power that Anton had talked of, Somehow he had managed to get it operating in time. Gerhard, 
said the Graf in a hushed voice. "'Have we come too late?' "'Perhaps, my lord,' replied Lerner in a whisper. He looked shaken. "'Or perhaps only just in time.' The grip on Katerina's arm had slackened. The two soldiers who held her had given all their attention to the stone, and were still staring at the shards scattered across the cobbles. With a sudden effort, Katerina wrenched herself free of them, and she ran forward, hands grabbed at her, she struck out at them, dodged from side to side. Then she was out onto the open square, running towards the house. From behind there were shouts to halt. She ignored them. An arrow flew past her on the left. It sparked against the invisible wall across the square and fell to the ground, all its energy spent. Katerina ran on, calling out the words of a warding spell, praying that she had remembered it correctly. Then the air around her was bristling with arrows. Her boots thudded on the cobbles. Sigmar Platz had never seemed so vast. She sensed magic stirring behind her, knew that Lerner and the others were spell-casting at her back. Then rainbow light was shimmering around her. She had reached the safety of the shield. Her movements slowed. It felt as if she were moving underwater. Safe now, she told herself, almost home. All you have to do is keep moving. She could feel Anton's magic flowing through her protecting her. Then her eyes snapped shut as the light around her brightened to a blinding intensity. It sounded as if a host of demons were screeching at her. She tried to put her hands to her ears, but they moved with dream-like slowness. Something had struck the shield, not a rock this time. Something magical, she realised. A spell, Lerner and the rest of the guild, all those wizards of every level, acting together, creating a combined spell of tremendous force, designed to tear the shield apart. Magical energy surged through her body as the two spells, shield wall and shield breaker, clashed. Too much raw magic coming at her much too quickly. Anton could have weathered it easily, she knew, but, despite his coaching, she was still so very inexperienced, barely out of the apprentice stage. For a moment she stood there, twitching like a fly freshly caught in a spiderweb, her feet rooted to the ground. Then she remembered Anton's strength spell, brought his voice into her mind, heard him reciting it to her once again. She took a single step forward and stepped fully into the sanctuary of the shield. As she stumbled across the remaining distance, she looked back over her shoulder. Light licked at the shield, gold, blue, crimson, jade, but the shield was holding. The red lacquered door opened, and two men wearing leather and chainmail darted out, Anton's hired Kislevan guards. As they pulled her roughly inside, she saw the other three Kislevans waiting in the hallway, their braided yellow hair hanging down across their shoulders. They had their weapons drawn. Katerina was surprised that they had all remained loyal. 
The door to Anton's study opened, and then the wizard was standing in front of her. His dark hair hung loose to his shoulders, framing his broad, surprisingly youthful face. He was wearing an elaborately decorated robe. Inscribed upon the chest was his personal symbol, based on the great wheel of magic itself. Each of its eight spokes was a different colour, representing the eight colours of the magical flux. The wheel's rim was comprised of bands of the same colour, each in their proper station. Katarina! The wizard called out angrily. What in Tal's name did you think you were doing? Still trying to catch her breath, she said, I came to warn you, Anton. You can't surrender. They mean to torture you. I already knew that, he said. But his voice had softened. A diminutive figure, even smaller than a halfling, appeared behind Anton. One bony hand clutching at the wizard's robe. Anton's familiar. Despite its physical approximation of humanity, the look of its pale, coarse-grained flesh gave it a rough, unfinished appearance. It glared up at Katerina with its red-rimmed eyes, its lips parting in a snarl. Katerina looked quickly away from the creature, feeling the instinctive revulsion she had never been able to rid herself of. Anton, she said, they think you've turned to chaos. What? he responded, clearly astonished. They think that... And still they want to steal my knowledge! The captain of the Kislevans called to them. Peering through the shutters, they could see that the Graf's troops had begun to move out across the square, were advancing on the house. Spelllight sheened their weapons. Will the shield stop them? asked Katerina. Not for long, not with the whole of the guild out there to help them, but it should slow them down. Katerina shuddered, remembering her own struggle to pass through it. Anton was looking around at his handful of mercenaries. Men, he called out, his voice vibrant. The Graf is sending his soldiers against me, but I can stop them. All I need is a little time to charge my spell to its fullest strength. You can stop them, echoed Katerina in wonder. Yes, Anton said levelly, his eyes on the mercenaries. But I will need time. My lord, the Kislevan captain protested, in heavily accented Reichspiel. There are hundreds of them. When they try to pass through the shield, they'll be vulnerable, said Anton. The man's seamed face was full of doubt. We'll try, of course, but... Anton raised his hands, murmured something Katerina could not catch. The air around his fingertips quivered with the force of his spell. The mercenaries straightened, as if sudden new resolve had come into them. My lord the captain said. We'll hold them. His eyes were shining. A loyalty spell, Katerina realised. Anton had placed a loyalty spell upon his Kislevans, and now he had raised its strength to the limit. That Anton had used such a spell disturbed her. It seemed wrong. But then she recalled the forces arrayed against him, and knew 
he had simply had no choice. Anton turned away, went down the hall to an oaken door and slid a key into the lock. The door opened soundlessly, revealing a stone stairway that spiralled downwards into darkness. It led to the lowest level of the house, the level that held Anton's laboratory. Let me come with you, Katerina called out. Perhaps I can help. In all the time she had known him, he had never allowed her, or anyone else, to enter his laboratory. Anton stared at her, as if he were trying to reach some sort of decision. The familiar gave an impatient tug at his robe, staring balefully at Katerina. No, the wizard said finally. It's best you stay here. When she started to protest, he lifted her hand to his lips, kissed it briefly. This once, Katerina. Obey me. She touched the back of her other hand to his shaven cheek, the slight roughness, and the sharp male scent of him felt reassuring. Of course. Good luck. A glowing ball of light rose from his hand and preceded him down the stairway. The familiar scuttled after him. The door swung shut behind them, and the lock snicked into place. There was a noise from above, as if one of the shutters in one of the upstairs rooms had opened. Katerina looked up to see a shadow detach itself from a darkened side door on the landing. It glided soundlessly towards the balustrade, a movement that was so swift and silent that it was as if the shadow was drifting through her mind rather than the house, as if she was dreaming its brief presence. Instinctively, she turned to block the door Anton had taken. The shadow shape leapt from the balustrade and landed lightly in front of her. It stood there for a moment, regarding her, a tall, masculine man-shape, clothed in black, eyes gleaming at her out of a dark mask, and on one sleeve the scorpion symbol of Cain, god of murder. An assassin. If Anton Freival could not be taken alive, then the Graf wanted to be very sure of his death. On the man's waist, Katerina saw an amulet that bore the guild's insignia. To one with her training, it practically writhed with spell charge. Although it had brought the assassin this far, through the shield and past Anton's other warding spells, if enough of the wizards had poured enough of their power into it, then perhaps it might be strong enough to take him safely down to the laboratory itself. Stand aside, the assassin said. My contract is for your master's life, not yours. You mean Anton Freivald, the wizard? Katerina said quickly. But he's outside, with the guards. The assassin's eyes shifted to the side for a fraction of a second, and, taking her chance, Katerina sprang at him, both hands clenched, aiming low. The assassin twisted easily aside and, tripping Katerina as she went past him, sent her toppling to the floor. Shaken but unhurt, Katerina got quickly back to her feet, but the assassin was gone. 
and the door to the lower level hung open. She shouted down into the spiral stairway, but her voice was lost in the gloom. She tried again, calling out as loudly as she could, but again the darkness absorbed her words like a sponge soaking up drops of water. There was no torch to light her way, and she was afraid. Afraid of the spells that guarded the place. Afraid of what was down there. But Anton Freivald, her protector, her lover, was in danger. She stepped forward. With her foot poised above the first step, she heard a voice. Anton's. Back, the voice said sternly. This level is forbidden to all. For a moment, she thought he was coming back up the stairs, but then she realised it was merely the taboo spell speaking in her mind, the first of Anton's barriers. She could feel its magical pressure in her head. Anton, I'm trying to help you, she protested. She tried to move her foot, but the muscles in her legs had locked. No matter how hard she tried, they wouldn't move. Katerina strained again and again to take the first step, to break through the spell, but it was as if the lower half of her body was paralysed. The harder she tried, the louder the voice in her head became, commanding, threatening, until it was a shout echoing inside her skull. She lifted her hands to her ears, trying to shut it out. It rose in volume, became a thunderous roar, blotting out thought. Swaying on her feet, eyes tightly closed, she summoned her own image of Anton, the lean, muscular body, the grey eyes, the long, silken hair. His lips were on hers, his arms around her. She could feel the warmth of him against her. The love she felt for him was as bright and sharp in her mind as a knife blade. It brought her the strength she needed to break through the spell. The strength to disobey him. The cold chilled through the sole of her boot as she placed it on the first step. The wizard's voice dropped until it was only a shout again. Then a second step. A third. All she could hear now was a shrill whisper. She continued downwards. As she passed the first turn in the stairs, the voice faded completely. Below her, the darkness stirred. From out of it, a small questing head appeared, attached to a long serpentine neck. Its teeth were bared and its yellow eyes glowed like tiny amber coals. The head regarded her for a moment. Then it began moving steadily up towards her. Katerina halted, but did not retreat. The stairs were the only way down to Anton's laboratory. She had to get past this creature. She knew what it was. Anton had talked to her of his defences. It was not a living creature, but a reflection of her own inner fears given shape but not substance, by Anton's spell. It could kill her, but only through terror of her own making. 
Knowing what it was, she told herself firmly, would be enough. She could pass it. Shutting her eyes, she put her foot onto the next step. There was a hiss of rage and the scrabbling of claws on stone. An acrid stench drifted up to her nostrils. The sound of laboured breathing was amplified by the narrowness of the stairway. Down the stairs she went, not stopping, knowing that if she did, she was lost. Feeling her way, her hands on the cold, clammy stone. At any moment she kept expecting to feel that small mouth on her body, but the creature was only her fear-given form. She held that knowledge in her mind like a talisman as she descended. The air grew chill. She had lost count of the turns now. Her feet and hands were becoming numb from cold. The stairway seemed to go on forever. Abruptly, one foot jarred on the stone that was well above where the next step should have been. She stepped forward, knowing she had reached the bottom. There was a scraping sound and something brushed against her leg. Then she felt a sudden sharp pain as teeth closed on her ankle. Her heart seemed to stop and her eyes came open. A little light seeped down the stairway behind her, enough to dimly illuminate the narrow corridor that led to the single door, the entrance to Anton's laboratory. She saw the mind monster staring at her, but it was far away, at the end of the long corridor, coiled in front of the door. Its outline had lost definition, and the colour had leached out of its yellow eyes. As she watched, it finally faded out altogether, blending back into the darkness it had come from. Katerina's mouth was dust dry. Her breathing was coming in short, shallow gasps. That bite had felt so real that her ankle still throbbed. Looking down, she saw something small and pallid moving at her feet. Its eyes glittered in the dim light. The familiar... She kicked at the creature, and it scuttled away on hands and feet, finally halting at the far end of the corridor, beyond the door to the laboratory, well out of her reach. In the gloom, it was barely visible, but the faint reflections from its eyes told her that it was staring back at her. Finally, in the quiet, she could hear its breathing. Drops of blood smeared her hand as she bent and massaged her ankle. The creature repelled her. Even the thought of its touch filled her with disgust. It was a homunculus, created by Anton in his laboratory to serve as his familiar. Despite its vaguely human form, it was little more intelligent than an animal. It must have attacked her simply because she had descended to this forbidden level. Normally it never left its master's side. Had it been driven out of the laboratory when the assassin attacked? Moving cautiously, trying to keep one eye on the door and the other on the familiar, Katerina made her way down the corridor. Additional light seeped out from around the doorframe, but the room beyond the thick wooden door seemed silent. All Katerina could hear was her own laboured breathing and an occasional muted sound from the familiar. The stillness was shattered abruptly, 
a scream rang out, coming from within the laboratory. Katerina stood there, held rigid by the sound. It was the wizard's voice, and full of such rage and pain. Images of Anton injured, even dying or dead, filled her mind. For an instant longer she remained motionless. Then, as the scream ended, she sprang to the door. Anton might be fighting for his life. She had to get inside. She put one hand on the massive bronze doorknob. It was icy cold to the touch. She tried to turn it, first one way and then the other. It would not move. And the knob felt as if it was slightly warmer now, almost the same temperature as her body. Using both hands this time, she tried again. Still, the knob would not turn. Katerina could sense that it was resisting her pressure, and its temperature was definitely increasing now. Already it was unpleasantly hot. Her palms and fingers were beginning to hurt. Calling out the words of an open spell, she exerted all her strength. Still, the door was immovable. The heat rose. The pain in her hands was much greater now. It felt as if the skin were burning. Somehow, she forced herself to hold on to the knob, straining to turn it, knowing that the only important thing was to get inside the laboratory to help Anton. The pain continued to worsen. But when she looked down at her hands, half expecting to see the skin burnt, and saw, to her astonishment, that they were unmarked, she knew. Once again, she brought Anton's image back into her mind, and held it there. The pain wasn't real, she told herself. Only the door was real. Anton's spell held for a moment longer. Then the knob gave an almost human groan, and slowly, reluctantly, the door swung open. The room beyond gleamed with light. A ring of skulls was revolving slowly in the centre of the chamber. Each one floated in the air, suspended only by magic, its jaws opening and closing at intervals as if chanting a spell but no sound emerged. The eye sockets were giving out a soft, bone-white radiance. Katerina stared at the turning skulls for a moment, both horrified and fascinated. As they slowly swung past her, she found herself counting them. There were five. Once Anton had spoken to her of the source of his great magic. He had talked of a mechanism a reservoir that allowed him to accumulate magical energy to use whenever he needed. Was this grisly assemblage of skulls Anton's secret? Could this be what powered his spells? Chaos magic? No, she decided. Not Anton Freivold. He was of the Rainbow College and was willing to use any and all of the colours of the magical spectrum, but not the undivided black of chaos. Then the memory of the scream finally returned to her, and she called out, Anton? There was no answer. Neither the wizard nor the assassin was in sight. Nothing moved except the skulls. 
The whole room was silent. The shifting light from the eye sockets reflected off the contents of jars and vials that lined the left-hand wall, producing shafts of rainbow light. A faint, sulphurous odour hung in the air. Across the room from her, half hidden behind a curtain, a door stood ajar. Beyond, she could see cold stone, a tunnel leading out of the chamber, perhaps to the city above. Had Anton taken it, perhaps pursued by the assassin? She stepped forward, and almost immediately she saw a face. It was staring towards her from the opposite side of the room. Again she called out. She recognised the features now. They were Anton's. But another step closer, and she realised it was only a portrait of the wizard hanging on the far wall. Then... Further to her right, half hidden by shadow, she saw a dark shape sprawled in front of a wall lined with bookshelves. A human shape. Katerina took a step towards the body. Anton? No. It was a man, but dressed completely in black. The Assassin. His eyes stared up at her through a fine grey mesh that covered his face. The lines were drawn so tightly that they had cut into the skin beneath. The man's hands were clutching at the mesh in what must have been a last desperate attempt to rip it off. When she heard the noise behind her, she whirled around. But it was only the familiar. It stood in the doorway for a moment, sniffing the air, its eyes searching. Then it ran forward on its thin legs and disappeared behind the large oaken desk on the other side of the room. Katerina approached cautiously and peered over the desk at the creature. The familiar was squatting on a body. Anton's body. Katerina knew the face immediately, even though the features were contorted by rage and pain. He was dead. A slim, black-hilted dagger was buried in his heart. His robe and the brocaded carpet beneath it were soaked in blood. But Katerina's grief was buried by disgust for what the familiar was doing. The creature was bent over the body, its thin hands clutching at Anton's tunic, its tiny mouth at the wizard's throat. Filled with loathing, Katerina reached for something, anything to throw at it. As her fingers closed on a flask that stood on the wizard's desk, the familiar raised its head, flicked a glance at her, and bared its teeth in a snarl. Its lips were smeared with blood. She hurled the flask with all her strength, and it struck the familiar on the side of the head. The creature toppled off Anton's body, to sprawl, limp and bleeding beside its master. Breathing hard, tears streaming down her face, Katerina stared down at Anton then, and waited for her grief to overwhelm her. Nothing mattered any more. He was dead. How could she go on living without him? The feeling that finally came was a ghost of the grief she had expected. Its lack of intensity astonished her. 
Anton Freivald, the man she loved, the man who meant more than her own life to her, was dead. Why did she only feel... regret? Shocked, she turned to her memories in search of something that would inspire some deeper feeling, trying to remember the gratitude she had felt for him, the respect, the loyalty, the love. Memories came, but they were blurred, wavering, as if reflected off moving water. Her father's death, the debts she could not pay, and then Anton offering her his protection. Gratitude. She knew she should feel gratitude, and yet... As she struggled to make everything come clear, something broke in her mind. Rainbow light shimmered in the corners of her vision for a second, and then was gone. A spell, she realised. Someone had used a spell on her. Someone. Anton. He had clamped a magic shackle around her mind. Her memories came into focus, to be seen from a stark new perspective. Her talent for magic was great, as her father had told her often enough. Anton had seen an opportunity to harness that talent for himself. He had come to her when she was vulnerable and put the shackle in place. All the lessons with him, the magic he had taught her, had been simply so that he might use her more effectively. Feelings burst up from deep within her and churned through her mind. There was rage and hate and a bitterness and a sense of violation. She had been his slave. Only that. Love him. How could she ever have believed that she had loved him? What she had felt in his arms had been a forgery. The memory of his hands on her body brought the taste of bile to her mouth. All the gods damn you, Anton! she cried out. Her hands clenched. She stood above Anton Freivald's body, not touching it, unwilling to, but wanting to strike it, to hurt the wizard as he had hurt her. Tears slid down her cheeks. She almost wanted him to live again so that she could kill him, and this time watch him die. Almost. Then a new thought came. Free. She was free. Her mind was her own again, her body hers and hers alone. A feeling of joy went through her, grew until it was almost dizzying in its intensity. Free, she told herself again, and she was going to stay that way. A glance at the ring of skulls and her new exhilaration faded. It was slowing, its light fading. Anton was dead, and his spells were dying with him. When the skulls stopped completely, the spell shield above would fail, and Gerhard Lerner would lead the Graf's soldiers down to the laboratory. All she could expect from them was torture, and eventually death.
Swinging around, she found the tunnel that led away into the darkness. The air that wafted out of it was dank and icy cold. It looked very old. Perhaps it had been carved by dwarven engineers in the day of Waldenhof's founding. Anton had never intended to fight, Katerina knew then, only to escape. This tunnel was his secret escape route. Now it would be hers. She started towards the tunnel and then halted. Anton had told her of his grimoire, a listing of all the spells he had mastered from every branch of the art and drawing upon all the magic colours. It was somewhere here, Katerina was sure. If she could find it and take it with her, then she could continue her studies and slowly, patiently, master the spells Anton had never intended to teach her. The bookshelves that lined the right-hand wall from top to bottom and wall to wall caught her eye. Once she would have been fascinated by the wealth of knowledge the wizard had accumulated here, could have spent hours raptly studying them. Now she thought only of the grimoire. Books tumbled to the floor as she hunted for it. The grimoire was not among them. The drawers of the desk came open easily. Inside were papers bearing magical signs and script in Anton's precise hand. But again, no sign of the grimoire. The skulls were barely moving now, their light a dim glow. At any moment they would stop completely. Anton had hidden the grimoire too well. Perhaps she should run while she still had the chance. No. She had suffered too much. It had to be somewhere down here, and she would find it. Then her eyes chanced to return to the portrait on the wall, and she felt a sudden sharp certainty. Come no further, a voice called out, as she took a step towards it. The voice froze her. Her fear returning in a sudden rush, she wanted to turn, to look at the wizard's dead body, but her eyes were still on the portrait. Its thin lips were moving, its dark eyes flashing. Come no closer, intruder, or you die. The words were coming from the portrait. Another spell. But the face was expressionless, the voice flat, as if the effort of animation was now too great for it. All the gods damn you, wizard, she said, hating him, and reached for the portrait. Dust rose from the thick, patterned carpet to sting her face and arms. She screwed her eyes shut and brushed at it furiously. Something drifted down onto her head and shoulders from the ceiling. Her eyes flicked open again, a spider web. It settled on her and began to tighten. She put both hands up to it to pull it away. Its silken strands had the strength of steel. They tightened further, biting into her flesh. She couldn't breathe. An image of the assassin's masked face came into her mind, the mesh that had killed him tight around it. Choking, she pulled again at the web, this time in desperation. One of its strands parted with a sharp twang. 
Then, one by one, others followed. Katerina sucked in air through her mouth, and, a moment later, she ripped the thing from her face and flung it onto the carpet. It arrived there for a time like some dying grey insect, the dust drifting back down to the ground around it. Katerina massaged her face and neck for a moment, knowing that if Anton's power had not almost completely drained from his spell, if only a little more of his strength had remained in it, she would be dead now. Stepping up to the portrait, she took it carefully in both hands. Beware, the wizard's voice intoned, as she lifted it away from the wall. Behind it was a small round hatch, bearing Anton's rainbow wheel symbol. Intruder! The portrait was droning at her. She smashed it against the wall, heard the frame splinter, the canvas rip. She broke off a piece of the frame, letting the rest drop onto the floor, and began trying to prise the hatch open. At the same time, she called out spell words, commanding it to unseal. When it wouldn't move, she beat at it with the wood, hitting it again and again as hard as she could, imagining it was Anton she was striking. Abruptly, the hatch flew open with the same groan of despair that the door to the laboratory had made. Inside, an arm's length away, was a book. It was bound in leather and embossed with the rainbow wheel, the grimoire. Transferring the piece of the frame to her left hand, she reached into the vault with her right. Her fingers found the book. The vault grew teeth along its rim, then closed on her arm with a snap. She screamed as the vault gnashed at her, her vision blurred, and she felt as if she would pass out from the pain. A shard of canvas was whispering from the carpet. Beware! Come no further. She beat at the vault with the bar of wood in her hand, then stabbed at it with the splintered end. Finally, when she felt as if she had no more strength left, the vault opened fractionally, and, with an agonised cry, she managed to wrench her arm free. As she stared at the blood, expecting to find her limb half-severed, she saw with surprise that the cuts the teeth had made were only superficial. Then that spell, too, had been almost exhausted. But most of all, she was amazed to find that in her hand she held the grimoire of Anton Freivold. The book was hers, and so was its knowledge. Nothing would stop her now, laughing, Feeling much as she did when Anton had made her drink too much wine, she clutched the grimoire to her as if she had already mastered its many secrets, had already become a wizard of the highest level. The canvas fragment on the carpet whispered, Beware! Again she laughed, but her eyes moved to the ring of skulls. Stories had been whispered of Anton Freivald, in the taverns and the marketplace, stories she had shut her mind to. Now they came back to her, stories of him moving from city to city across the old world through the years, 
How many cities? How many years? And darker rumours of a death in each of those places. Anton's death. The skulls swung around in their stately, decaying orbit, their jaws moving in unison, as if they were telling her the answers to her questions in a language she could not understand. The skulls. There were five of them. As Katerina watched, the ring of skulls began to spin faster and faster, its light brightening. A silken shivering went up and down her spine, slowly, drawn by a fear that she could not put a name to. Her eyes dropped to Anton's body. It was still lying in the same position, the knife buried in its chest, but it was shriveled, fleshless. The skin was intact. But now it was only a parchment-thin covering, hanging loosely over the wizard's bones, like the abandoned skin of a snake. The familiar was gone from beside the body. At that moment, a pale hand appeared from the other side of the oaken desk and clutched at its edge. It flexed there a moment, trying to secure its grip. Then a second hand followed. After a moment, a head came into view, and then the rest of the body was rising on the other side of the desk, swaying unsteadily. It was the familiar, Katrina knew by its chalky complexion of the skin, the coarse features of the face, but its body was now man-sized. Its flesh was moving, rippling and twitching, as if still trying to settle itself into its new shape. The mouth opened, but no sound came out. The grey eyes glistened, not quite focused. As she stared at it, the face began to change, moulding itself into a new image. The lips thinned, the cheekbones came into prominence, eyebrows bristled into view. Katerina took a step backwards, towards the tunnel, and her booted foot brushed against the husk of Anton's body. Bones scraped together, but she did not look down. The creature's eyes were shifting, searching for the source of the noise. They slid past her, then swung back to focus on her. Katerina, the half-formed thing said, in a slow, slurred whisper. What are you doing here? The eyes regarded her with vague surprise at first, then, as they moved to the book in her hand, understanding came into them, understanding and cold anger. So, the creature reached out with one pale hand. My grimoire, give it to me. Staring into those grey eyes, Katerina found herself starting to obey out of sheer force of habit. Then the hate for the wizard that she had discovered inside herself returned with almost sickening force. She shook her head. No, more damn you! The creature's jaw slid down in surprise. My slave spell! You've broken it! The protean features shifted, 
the expression was unrecognisable. Then an almost affectionate malevolence came into its eyes. They were wholly Anton's now. But it will only take me a moment to replace it. The creature gestured at her. A nimbus of rainbow light left its fingertips and drifted through the air towards her. Her eyes followed it, hypnotised, unable to pull away. The light blossomed as it neared her, its colours opening out like the petals of some iridescent flower. Gold, jade, blue, grey, amethyst, crimson, amber, white, the eight colours of magic. They splashed onto her eyeballs, soaked softly through them and into her mind. They shimmered and sparkled there, and then began to crystallise into a familiar pattern. An eight-spoked wheel. No! She remembered it now, had lived with it inside her head. Not again! Her reaction was instinctive as the wheel began to spin within her, to grip her mind in its familiar embrace, she visualised her hands clenched inside her own mind, and hit out at it with all her strength. The colours pulsed. Sigma, give me strength, she thought, and struck again. This time a crack appeared. Another blow, more cracks. She hit the wheel again and again until there was a webwork of fractures patterning the rainbow form. She smashed at it a final time, imagining the hammer of Sigmar in her hands. The wheel shattered into a thousand pieces. Katerina, the creature said in surprise. My little Katerina, but so strong now. It's hard to believe. To break my slave spell a second time, the voice dropped. That's dangerous. It stumbled forward, its movement still not fully coordinated. Before she could draw back, it reached out with surprising speed and grasped her right wrist. The contact sent a wave of disgust through her body. Its skin was clammy the smell that came off it not quite human. She tried to wrench her arm free, but the grip was too strong. With its free hand, it reached out for the spellbook. Half turning, she flung the book behind her. The creature made a barely articulate cry of rage and struck her in the face. Then, wrapping its free arm around her, it used its strength and weight to force her to the ground. As she went down onto the carpet, she felt her head bump against the wizard's skin-draped skeleton. The man-thing put its rubbery lips to her ear. Pain, Katerina, it commanded. Pain. The words sank into her mind as if they had been arrows. Her nerves were suddenly alight. Every part of her body had been put to the torch. She screamed. A sample, Katerina of what I could teach you if only we had a little time to ourselves. The voice in her ear was a hoarse murmur, unmistakably Anton's, all the magic you could ever wish to learn about. In desperation, the pain threatening to wipe out all rational thought, her eyes rolled upwards towards the city above. No, the creature whispered, 
as it shifted on top of her. There is no help there. My Kislevans will fight on until they die. It reached for something behind her, tugged at it, grunting with the effort until it came free, then brought it forward so that she could see it. It was the skull from Anton's body. The creature's head came back into her field of vision. Its eyes were glossy. Death, it shuddered. Then slowly its features contorted into a caricature of a smile. The graph and those gilled bumpkins thought that it would stop me. Instead, it has given me one more component to add to my ring of power. The skull rose from the creature's hand, beginning to glow as it did so, and floated across the room towards the ghostly chandelier of skulls, its jaws already moving in the same soundless chant. Through the agony that was burning its way through her body, she heard the creature continue. With six skulls, I can charge it to a new level of strength, an order of magnitude greater than was possible before. Surely, Katerina thought in desperation, this new addition would disturb the delicate balance of the structure. If it would only distract Anton for as much as a second, then she might have a chance. The skull joined the ring, the others shifting smoothly to make a place for it. At once, the glow from the eye sockets sharpened, and the jaws began to move with even greater vigour. Not chaos, Katerina, the creature whispered. That is a snare, the fool's road to destruction. No, my path is slower spread across many lifetimes. My magic is merely a little darker hued than most. It leaned closer again, whispered confidentially into her ear. The skulls will come with me, of course, to a new city, a new life. I wish I could take you too, Katerina, but your talent makes that too dangerous. No, I'll have to kill you. But quickly, I promise you that. First, though, my grimoire. The creature reached out for the book. As its attention left her, the pain diminished fractionally. Her right hand was trapped, still held in the creature's grasp. With her left, she fumbled for something, anything, to strike at it with. Her fingers found the body behind her head and felt along the soft fabric of the wizard's robe. The outline of the skeleton stood out plainly beneath it. Then they touched something sharp-edged. The assassin's blade. Her hand reached for the hilt. Too far. She stretched her arm as much as she could, still could not grasp it. As the creature's pale hand closed on the book, Katerina closed her eyes, murmured the words of a fetch spell. The knife slid free with a scrape of steel against bone, rose into the air, spun slowly around, then drifted towards her extended hand. The creature had the grimoire now, was grunting in satisfaction. 
Katerina's hand closed around the hilt. She brought the knife up above the man-thing on top of her and, jerking her right hand free with a sudden effort, clasped the knife in both hands. As the creature swivelled its head back towards her, she brought the blade down with all her strength, driving it into the creature's back. No! the man-thing called out, furious, as the blade pierced it. Its eyes glittered, brimming with anger, but empty of pain, as if the half-formed body still lacked the capacity to feel any. It swung the grimoire at her like a club, and its empty hand came around to fend off the knife. The lips moved again, chanting the pain spell. Katerina shut her mind to the pain. It was not real. She would not allow herself to feel it. Nothing was real to her but her rage and her hate. Those feelings and the knife she held in her hand. Katerina wrenched it free, raised it, brought it down again, sensing it sink into the body above her. Then another time, and another, repeating the cycle over and over, ignoring the pain burning at the edges of her personal universe, the hands clutching at her arms. No! Suddenly, there was fear in the voice, and Katerina knew why. This time there was no homunculus prepared and waiting to take up the wizard's life. This time, there would be no resurrection. Die, God damn you, die! Again and again she struck, until she had lost count of the number of times she had driven the blade into the creature's body, until her hands were sticky with its blood. Its arms thrashed feebly. The mouth opened and closed. But no further sound came out. Finally, long after the creature had stopped moving, Katerina pushed its body off her and got to her feet. The ring of skulls was slowing once again, its light dwindling. Breathing hard, her tunic ripped, and streaked with blood and dust, she stared down at the body on the floor. It was quite dead, and this death, she thought with grim satisfaction, was the wizard's final one. With the grimoire in one hand and the dagger in the other, Katerina Kraber went into the tunnel that led upwards to freedom. We often think about how the stories in these anthologies were in some way references to what was going on in the world at the time that they were written, that they provide some sort of contemporary commentary on the concerns of the period. The spells below, meanwhile, seems unique for having caught the zeitgeist not so much of 1990, but of 2020, 
and the Me Too movement. Because far and away the most interesting thing in this story is the idea that a wizard might use magic to manipulate a person into not only doing their bidding, but also into an extended sexual relationship between a powerful older man and a younger woman, a relationship that was born out of and shaped by the power that he had over her. In some ways, this is not an analogy that works perfectly if you want to claim that this story is about a wizard Harvey Weinstein, because unlike many of Weinstein's victims, Katerina had no idea that she was being manipulated in the way that she was until a good way into the story. But from another point of view, the analogy is an excellent one. Because, if you want an analogy for the kind of raw power that one person can hold over another in an industry like the movies, then magically powered compulsions is a pretty effective one. We even get some really effective foreshadowing where Anton magically compels those Kislevan soldiers to fight for him against their own wishes, so we know that this is a man who has no concerns for the autonomy of others. And once we know what is going on with Katerina, we can re-examine everything she has gone through before Anton's death, and question whether any of her actions were indeed her own. You have a potential for an almost Philip K. Dick-style story, about the influence of power on perception, but it doesn't really get there and explore this concept fully. What is really great about this story is that, for Anton to be immortal... He doesn't have to kill or brutalise anyone. We don't discover he's immortal because he's sacrificing children or leeching life from others in some way. As Anton himself says, he's not a chaos worshipper, just someone whose magic is a little darker hued than most. He's just got an immortality spell that allows him to regenerate forever. Except, except, he is an abuser. He does mistreat others really horribly, and this raises the question of whether this is a result of his magic power. Whether being in a position where you are a powerful magic user who can live forever, or a powerful film producer who controls the industry, leads you to see people who don't have that power as less real than you are. Expendable, certainly and not on the same level of human. Or, I suppose, whether the idea of being a magician appeals in part to people who want to see themselves as better than everyone else. The parallels with power in our own society are all there. Someone who meditated an awful lot on the nature of power through the medium of magic. He has Tiffany Aching remember Granny Weatherwax saying, Evil starts when you begin to treat people as things. And you definitely have Anton failing to guard against that here. I think the story would have benefited from that Prachitian sense of vengeance being a bit more developed. We have seen enough over the course of this story to make us very confident that Anton is a prick. And I feel like the moment when Katerina finally gets the upper hand could have been played with a bit more relish and catharsis than it actually was. 
What we got in that final struggle was a bit more of a slasher-movie final girl feel, and while that has its own kind of power, I would have liked the vengeance to have been more shaped by the fact that this was someone with whom she had a long-established relationship and a deeply betrayed sense of trust. I found the other day a quote I'd been looking for for ages from Pratchett, in which he said that he hated the idea of muggles. He says it demeans the wizards, the idea that you want to follow a story about a cast of people who view ordinary people with somewhere between contempt and condescension. He refers to the Wizard of Earthsea, where an older wizard upbraids a younger who is looking down on ordinary people by pointing out that they can do things he cannot. Can you navigate a boat? Can you shoe a horse? Why do you look down on people who can do a thing you cannot do? And I wondered if this story would have benefited from getting its irony a little better organised. Having Katerina be able to kill Anton precisely because he underestimates her. Have him killed by his own guards in the end. But maybe I'm expecting too much to be squeezed into a story of this length. Maybe it's a bit much to expect an author to do an ending like Terry Pratchett would. Maybe I'm just wishing there were more Terry Pratchett books. As an aside, Terry Pratchett was actually scouted to work on the Warhammer fiction line, and he said he would have been willing to work on the series, providing no one expects me to take it as seriously as it clearly takes itself. Pratchett would also describe the request that he write in the genre that he'd spent his entire career parodying as being like King Herod being invited to write the newsletter for the Bethlehem Playground Association. The deal with Pratchett never came off, but reading over his comments on the ideas, <laughs> I'm not sure he'd have given us the pathos that I'm looking for in this story. I think the place this story really loses its focus is in its portrayal of magic itself. As we have discussed on many occasions in the past, magic use often feels generic in these books, but this one takes it to new heights. Spells are known as verbs or state of being spells. Fetch spells, opening spells, slave spells. Now, the Warhammer rulebooks of this period are excessively fond of a bland spell name, lots of zones of this, that or the other, but you have to be really pushing it to make them seem blander than that. What is even more peculiar is that these books seem to have been released after the material for Advanced Hero Quest had established the idea that different colleges of magic might have specialised in different types of spells, or that it might have inflected their spellcasting in some way. I'm not looking for the world you get after 4th edition where it's like, the thing about bright wizards is, they're literally on fire all the time. But I felt like introducing the colleges and then barely featuring them in the spellcasting and not featuring them at all in the political machinations that form the backdrop to the story was a bit of a mistake. Having said that, we do have a description of Rainbow Wizards from White Dwarf 113, where it explains that rainbow and dark wizards exist at opposite ends of the spectrum, outside of the colour wheel of ordinary wizards, and as such, rainbow wizards tend to look down on others, and that sort of ties into what we've been saying about Anton, I suppose, who considers other humans to be less important than his research. We could have just worked that up a bit more. 
This is the only Neil Jones story that we have, although he would co-edit Deathwing, and I think this story and that anthology together make the argument pretty effectively that he is someone who can identify what's interesting about these settings. This also represents our last visit to the Red Thirst anthology for some considerable time, as we are only going to come back to the titular Red Thirst novella once we have read Drakenfels in its entirety and got acquainted with the vampire Genevieve. It's an interesting little collection. Just at the moment when Games Workshop was on the road to becoming a bombastic, brightly coloured war game of broad brushstrokes, it was offering us a short fiction collection where four out of the five stories centre around a female protagonist, and three out of five of them don't really feature swordplay of the grim and perilous adventure kind as a major plot point. When choices are made, other opportunities are abandoned. And if you want to see Carl Franz Ryder Griffin... There's going to be less time for a nun of Shalia, lesbian sailors, or wizards fighting misogyny. But I'm glad there was an opportunity to explore these elements at one point, as it's a world full of potential. Please feel free to comment on the show in the posts in the Old Hammer, Rogue Trader, or Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay First Edition Facebook groups, or to leave a review if you are so inclined. Please tell friends if this is the type of thing that which might interest them. You could also follow me on Twitter, where I post at at Lewis Kernow about, well, history, this podcast, RPGs, miniatures, and Turnip28. Next time we join up with an Inquisitor's retinue once more in Seed of Doubt. <laughs>